Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live from the NRF Big Show in New York. We want to thank the folks at NRF for hosting us. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome Jason and Scott Show listeners. I am surrounded by Jason's yet again. We're excited to have the editor of Retail Dive, one of my favorite regular retail reads, Jason Ankeny. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks, fellas. Happy to be here. Cool. So we love to start on the show, just kind of going through uh, a little bit of your background. How how did you get involved in this fun uh, business of retail slash e-commerce? And um, and then we'll dive into what you do at Retail Dive. Sure. Uh, I joined Retail Dive about 11 months ago. been a business reporter for quite a while. Uh, I was the senior writer at Entrepreneur Magazine until, uh, I guess, February of last year. And uh, so I wrote about a lot of verticals there, including retail um, which is really sort of my first exposure as a journalist to the subject. And uh, before that, I, I, I wrote about mobile for a long time. And uh, before that, I was a music and film critic. And then for that, I was just a drifter. Okay. Yeah. Isn't music and film critic synonymous with drifter? Uh, absolutely. In, in terms of, of, of tax bracket, yes. <laughs> yes. Very cool. So tell um, so I'm very familiar with the the newsletter. So tell folks a little bit about Retail Dive. Sure, uh, Retail Dive is a daily e newsletter. Uh, we have an, an app. It was actually sort of conceived more for a, a, a mobile, mobile readership. And to that point, the initial focus was on very much quick hit reading, uh, you know, get to the news, break it down as simply and efficiently as possible, and then sort of delve into the the, the, the larger impact and repercussions of the news. As time's gone on and, and as the newsletters evolved, we've really emphasized the insight more and more and more. So while you can still get your quick news on the most important industry subjects and, and headlines and, and, and trends, if you want to delve deeper, we are offering a, an increasing amount of, of depth and, and insight. And uh, you know, thanks to uh, uh, fellas like yourselves who are uh, willing to get on the phone with us and lend some insight and perspective on, on the way you see things unfolding. Yeah, yeah, Jason and I'll talk to pretty much that uh, anyone will listen as as evidenced by this podcast. So. Well, and and obviously, yeah. you know, you guys are uh, you're, you'll have anyone on the podcast. Yeah, so. clearly, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so how, oh, how wait, did you think we were recording this? <laughs> well, I, I I'm assuming, but I you know I'm not a tech guru. I have no idea if this is real equipment. <laughs> how big? Um, you know, to the extent you can tell us, how big is the audience? For- sure. Um, we our, our subscribership's a little over seventy five thousand now. Um, it's grown quite a bit. Uh, I don't have a lot of numbers at my disposal. I don't really look at the numbers personally. I feel like I can get bogged down in that stuff, and you know, look at maybe points of emphasis that that. We shouldn't necessarily follow, you know, in order to really stay true to the mandate of just covering the news that's most important. I, I just try to focus on the quality. And, I don't think you would do well at BuzzFeed. I'm just going to put that. I out would. There. I would be the worst BuzzFeed ever, <laughs> or Buzz, Buzz, BuzzFeed employee. Um, yeah, listicles not really a favorite. It's not your thing. Format of mine. Um, nostalgia doesn't really interest me that much. So um, yeah, I would. I would. I would be fired if I were at BuzzFeed. 
I saw on LinkedIn you talk about uh, industry dive, so I imagine that you know I've only seen the little slice of retail dive, but are there sister publications? That, yeah, that- absolutely. Um, so Industry Dive as a company is devoted to newsletters, tar- B2B newsletters targeting verticals, um, everything from utility and healthcare to, to things that are directly related to retail. Uh, there's a, a supply chain publication. There is also a, uh, a food dive publication that within the last week or so launched a, uh, a new pub called uh, uh, Food Dive Grocery, which is also daily. So the, the, there's obvious overlap. In, in both of those pubs and what we do, especially with you know, things like Amazon Go, for example, the, 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 the Venn diagram overlap between those pubs is, is increasingly obvious in a way that it had, had Grocery launched a year ago, I don't think we would be nearly as, as, as collaborative with them as, as we are here in, in early 2017. Does that just mean you get to do a lot of content reuse? Uh, that is part of it, yes. There, you know, there, there's definitely content development collaboration, but with the end result or the end game of reuse so yes absolutely nice that doesn't make you a bad person oh well thank you well there's a lot of things that make me a bad person yeah i didn't say you weren't i didn't yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) glad we clarified that oh yeah well thank you my mother will be thrilled and uh we were talking before the show you're based out of chicago i am yeah but you and jason have never met no this is the two jason chicago's have never met wow it's a small i think we're the only two yeah uh, quite possibly, possibly not. <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to say that you spell your name correctly. Oh, or you yeah. spell my name correctly. Yeah, not that that superfluous that Y. y. Yeah, yeah that's 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 so pretentious. I hate yeah. superfluous T's too. It's so so arrogant. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah so rude. Uh, anyway, so uh, one of the things I enjoy about your newsletter is it, it kind of. It takes a stand and, and um, has an editorial voice where a lot of these things just kind of aggregate news and then you kind of have to formulate your own opinion, which is fine. But I really like – and I think you guys call them you know, our take uh, on these things. How big of it – it feels like you have a pretty big editorial staff. How, how big is that? Uh, we have a surprisingly small editorial staff given the amount of, of work that we publish. So in addition to me, uh, we have Corinne Ruff who's our associate editor. And in terms of editorial – we're the, 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 the two full-time staffers. Uh, we have a great and growing stable of freelancers. Um, Daphne Holland, who contributes the majority of our daily content. Dan O'Shea, who writes briefs for us as well. And then we have a couple other freelancers. Were we recording that? Yes. <laughs> so, so, so when you guys do these kind of, you know, your takes, um, you know, I, again, I really like that you're not like, you know, here's the pros. You, you tend to take a position. Sure. Um, do you guys, and I know you're not big on metrics, but any, do you get kind of pushback from folks? So, you know, that's one of the downsides of taking a position is like, how dare you take this position from, you know, for example, there was recently uh, Macy's closings. And you guys have said, you know, this is not good. It's the beginning of the end. And then you cite some other folks that say, they really think that you know maybe this is just the start of many more store closures. Um, yeah, so, so so those are those are pretty big stands to be taking out there. And I'm just kind of curious does does that have a bit of a, a backlash to it at all, or how how does that work? We we don't get a lot of backlash. It's it's surprising. I think we go out of our way to to support the arguments. You know, we're not in the business of hot takes at all. We try to be really objective and balanced and measured, and, and you know, none of us are rooting for or against any of the companies that that we write about. And but again, it, it's we we spend a lot of time talking to experts in the industry, analysts, executives, 
so on and so forth. And so we don't arrive at conclusions or at opinions lightly. We, 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 we back them up and, and, you know, I think, I think we've been proven correct much more often than not in, 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 in assessing where we think a story is going to, going to end up. Yeah. Uh, another reason I love to read you guys is you cover Amazon a lot. Um, what are your, you know, as we look kind of back last year and anything this year, what, what are your thoughts on Amazon? I think like a lot of people, I'm still trying to figure out exactly where all the pieces of the puzzle fit and, and how all the moving parts correspond. But um, to me, Amazon Go is probably the biggest story that, that we've written about in the last year or so. Um, I think it's just an absolute game changer. And, and I... Uh, I don't know that I have a 92 year old grandmother and I don't know that she actually knows what I do for a living, but Amazon go is the only thing that she ever heard about retail related on the news that she called me to ask what I could tell her about it. So I think if, 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 if that basic premise can, can speak to someone outside of, of, of the normal demographics that, that we talk to and, and you know, that really impacts the, the consumer in that way and, and piques their imagination. I think it speaks volumes about the, the potential impact it's going to have. Obviously there's so much that we don't know about it at this point, but what we do know seems absolutely revolutionary to me. And, and, and it does seem to fit within the larger footprint of what they're doing. But you know, I, I don't know about you. I mean, we, we report on, on things, that, and I don't always understand exactly where they are going to fit in the larger Amazon mosaic. When there's a, a report that they may buy American Apparel, that kind of makes sense, but then I don't really know where it fits into the larger endgame for them as well. So, I mean, Amazon is endlessly fascinating to me because it's just like a, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's like a movie where you, you know there's a twist ending coming and you're constantly trying to process what you think that's going to be and then that twist ending arrives and it's not at all what you forecasted it, it to be yeah i feel that way about echo you would have never guessed after the fire phone failure that they would suddenly their next gadget would be a huge hit like that's exactly that's the kind of twist you get on amazon that makes right. them very fascinating to follow well and then i just look at how quickly things snowball with amazon that that the Echo and, and Alexa were sort of interesting things, and then they kind of started to gain a little momentum in in maybe the third quarter, and then with the the advent of the developer program, and then all the announcements at CES, it just seems like now Alexa is the engine driving so much of, of where they're going in the future. And again, I mean, it, it almost came out of nowhere in, in hindsight mm-hmm. to, to be one of the things that we're reporting on most regularly as it relates to, to the Amazon ecosystem. One of the interesting things to me now is they're in so many lines of business that when they try something new or have some no, new innovation, it's no longer even obvious which line of business it's intended to serve. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, you know, I think there was some news recently about uh, them applying for some wireless tests. Right, and there are a bunch of people speculating, like, "Oh, that's that's drone communication." And you know, Scott, you know, who foolishly predicted that Amazon was going to launch a new phone this year, was you know, we'll see, thinking, uh, yeah, uh, thinking that that could be part of a phone test, right? And it, 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 it's true. Many of these things could now, like, does Amazon want to buy American Apparel because they need the real estate to open showrooms for Echoes? Or because they think that that's a valuable apparel brand that they can grow and 
absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that I guess that raises the question: is there is there any Amazon rumor that you would automatically discount at this point? I, I feel like anything within the, the the realms of of reality and reason, you would have to think, hmm, okay. Maybe I think like Jeff Bezos buying a newspaper or something that would be crazy. Well, exactly, or, or or building a rocket ship to space. <laughs> yeah, God forbid he would do something bananas <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it, it 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 it's obviously it's really tough to write about that in a because we're not a, a a rumor blog. We're in and we're not a, a gossip column. So it's really hard to to ferret out exactly where all these things are going and and to what extent they're even pushing deliberate misinformation into the media. That's that's my one of my many paranoid conspiracies that they're deliberately releasing stuff just to, to further cloud whatever the the ultimate objectives really are. Yeah, if I if I kind of so I've been following them for twenty years and I play back everything, I can't, I can't really think of anything that they've kind of announced that didn't actually come out. I mean, you know, the drone. A lot of people. I talked to you think it was a PR stunt, but then when I talked to Amazon people, they're like, "Yeah, we're on version nine, and we really think this is the future." And really, you know, they're you know, they're investing that was in a it. PR and, stunt. There, <laughs> props because they're all in on that PR. <laughs> three years into this thing, still, you know, so it's kind of like, all right, you know, maybe it, you know, I don't, you know, I can't think of a single thing that didn't actually come out to some degree. Okay. Now, certainly, like, there's been all these rumors of acquisitions that don't happen. Like, I don't really think they were involved in America. That doesn't make any sense to me. But I don't think they floated it. I think. You know, some other random person did. I'm just incredibly mistrustful. That's good. You're a journalist. You should be. Any other Amazon thoughts? What do you, do you have a dialogue with readers? Do you get like a lot of inbound questions about Amazon, and that's kind of like why you guys are covering it more, or is it just because you know, as We're, an editor, you you're kind of predicting that there's more intellectual curiosity around it? Well, we absolutely when, when we when we publish Amazon stories, they always do really well for us. But but again, it's really we write about them because they're setting the pace. Mm-hmm. We would, we'll write about anybody that is setting the pace and, and, and redefining the rules of, of the business. And it just happens to be them more often than not. And, and it seems like they're creating an inc- increasing distance between them and everyone else. You know, I mean, I feel like just even being here at NRF, Amazon is the elephant in the room that isn't actually in the room. They're every they're on everyone's minds. Every decision, every service, every project seems to be in some way a, a response to something that Amazon is doing or something that Amazon is about to do. And and I feel you know certainly we've seen that before with Amazon and and with or with with Apple and with other companies in segments at particular points in time. But um, it's their 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 influence just seems inescapable right now. And and we one of the nice things about about our newsletter is that we have a number of stories every day so we can write about Amazon without excluding other companies and other trends and 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 so you know it's always a balance that we're, we we don't want to be an Amazon newsletter certainly yeah. and and um but they're they're inescapable for 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 everyone who who's who's livelihood is based in retail Amazon is inescapable whether it's the press or or anyone else in attendance here yeah, you've seen these arcs of your career where you know IBM was kind of like you know no one got fired for doing IBM, and then Microsoft came along and they couldn't fail, and now you know it seems like Amazon and we've got Google kind of in there and Facebook. Do, do you think someone kind of knocks Amazon down a peg, or do you, do you have any thoughts on what that would look like, or is it more like Walmart finally wakes up and says 
no more, we're going to really go at these guys? Or is it like two dudes at Stanford right now that, you know, will come up with the idea that, that, that shoots them past Amazon? At this point, it seems like only Amazon could trip up Amazon. I, I don't know that this industry moves quickly enough. It's not unlike something like social media where you know you mentioned Facebook where you could go from Friendster to MySpace to, to, to Facebook in less than a decade, each usurping the one that, that, that was king of the hill before it. I, I just don't know how you would build out anything re- remotely comparable to what Amazon has built and with all the tentacles at this point and compete directly with them. I think what some of what Walmart's doing is really interesting, but I... I certainly question their ability to bring in millennials and, and if they go all in on that, how, to what extent does that alienate their core audience? Now, Amazon just isn't faced with those sorts of questions, I don't think. And, and you know, obviously in, in, in the investors don't question what they're doing. It doesn't seem like there's any kind of internal decision about the direction that they're following. I mean, those are, those are historically the things that, that bring companies down and, and, until you know, certainly the fulfillment costs and everything that we saw in Q Q three, those are are, so, are certainly problematic. But I mean, unless I'm completely blind to to some threat on the horizon, I I just don't see what it is in in in, in the short term at all. Okay, interesting. Uh, I do want to go back just a second. Like, so the format of the newsletter, you have all those daily pieces, and then you have the features. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the features. Thank you. Uh, I'm curious what the editorial cycle is for the features. Like, how much time do you invest in a piece? Well, it depends. We certainly we try to get things up as quickly as possible, um, and, and that's where our writers are really great. They're, they're flexible, and they want to, they want to cover stories, and, and they want to be, if not necessarily the first to publish, to be in the, in the sandbox as quickly as possible. So you know, we're, we always have any number of features in the hopper, and some are very news-driven. If, a recent example, the limited goes bankrupt. Obviously, the writing was on the wall there. We had a feature in the works. We accelerated the process to get it up within a matter of days of, of, of them officially closing all the stores. Other other times, you catch lightning in a bottle. You're you're working on something, and then there's a major news event and that makes the makes that feature incredibly relevant and timely when you weren't necessarily thinking that it might be. And then, of course, we have evergreen features as well, and we have to. There, there's with publishing five days a week. There's no way that we could have timely features. Well, they're, they're all timely, but hyper-timely, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I'm working on features, Corinne's working on features, and, and the, the contributors are usually working on multiple features at any given point in time. And, and as you pointed out earlier, with, with, uh, with the industry dive model, we have complimentary newsletters that you know, we, can, we can joke about reusing content, and, and I think it is kind of funny i I've, I've been doing this long enough that that still is is a is an odd thing to me to do but at the same time if if if, if food dive grocery has a really compelling piece on amazon go it'd be ridiculous for for us and because we especially with that being a new pub they they don't have all the subscribers that we do but our subscribers should see that and they might overlook it um so 
so yeah, there's a, there, we do a crazy ass amount of content, but there's a lot of planning that goes into that, and and a little bit of luck, and I get most importantly, really really hardworking people that that like what they do, or at least they tell me that they they like what they do while <laughs> while they're scrambling to find other employment. <laughs> oh, they do like what they do, just not doing it with you. Well, that's usually that's usually how all those things work out professionally and personally for me. So, <laughs> so a follow-up question. So how many other skeleton features do you have right now on bankrupt retailers that haven't gone bankrupt yet? Um, and which ones are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like the old uh, uh, obituaries in, in newspapers. You know, you, you know that... You have the retail obit template. Ready. Uh, exactly. Everyone knows Betty Do- Betty White is going to die eventually. No one wants to admit it yet, but everyone has that obituary written. So yeah, so we have we have comprehensive obituaries for for all of the uh, all the retailers and actually some readers and and uh, fans of the of the publication as well. Uh, so we, I have to fact check a few things with both of you guys after we record this. By the way, okay. totally unrelated <laughs> to the to the obits. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and then uh, another topic, uh, you may, uh, your name, Retail Dive. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there any strategic, like, so to some people, retail is our whole industry, online, offline. Some people talk about retail, though, as designating uh, brick and mortar, for example, versus online. And so uh, when, in our industry, when we talk about, like, our vertical practices, there's always this controversy, retail versus commerce versus, like, did you, like, intentionally pick retail with any specific meaning? Or? Well, I did not pick it. Yeah. Uh, the the newsletter was launched four years ago, gotcha. so many, many years before I came along. So I Did they, it, they didn't leave you any notes? No. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I was not. About changing the name? Uh, no, I never have. I mean, it seems like the... Uh, uh, I think that to, to you know to some of the points you were making, I think it's the best catch-all. Um, I think anything else would start to skew the perception of, of what we write about. I mean, we want to write about retail in all of its forms, digital, online, um, and and you know, and not even just merchants themselves, but their their, their partners and and technology firms and everything. So I, I think I think retail is retail dive is probably the most appropriate name under the circumstances. Um, certainly, if you guys have better suggestions, I would I would love to hear them. But it's not something I've thought about. I've actually put retail right in my name, so I'm totally... Well, that's uh, true. Line, yeah. uh, was, was that a legal name change? or uh, It was not. My, my mother was very encouraging uh, for me to change my name, but she, was, <laughs> yeah, she may have had some different motivations. Well, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I can understand. Uh, so outside of Amazon, are, do you feel like there are other big recurring themes that you feel like uh, you cover a lot in the? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, omnichannel is a big one, of course, and and mobile, both in in the context of omnichannel and and outside of, of that. Um, bankruptcies, of course, and we're, we're not a financial publication, but we. But obviously, we, we cover those those stories very extensively. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this this sort of the rebirth of of brick and mortar that we're starting to see with with a lot of the well, maybe not a lot, but a number of the uh, the, the the pure play ecom companies starting to move back into the space and, and recognizing the value that that that, that has and, and you know and so what that entails and I, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what a digital native version of a retail store is like. We know that obviously a non-native version a retailer executive with their version of, of digital is doesn't always work but I think the, 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 the opposite transition is going to be a lot more seamless and a, and a lot more innovative um, and, and you know I guess also kind of related to that just the, the, the transformation of malls is, is, a, is a big subject um, not only just the, the types of stores that are moving in but the types of non-stores that are moving in and mixed use properties and things of that nature um, yeah, you know, we we write about legislative issues that impact the the industry, um, employment issues, on call scheduling, things of that nature. I'm, we're, we can't be comprehensive, of course, but we we definitely strive to be. And you know, every day, it's it's as as we figure out what we're going to publish the next day. It, there's a, there's just a running document of potential stories, and they're. They're moving up and down. It's like horses in a race or something. You know, something might be out front, and then in the eleventh hour, two or three more important stories present themselves, and then that thing that seemed really important earlier in the day gets moved down in, in the in the rundown. So, and and that's what's kind of you know, really fun about this is that we're we're not beholden to anything beyond covering retail. I mean, that's all we do in, in a way. And obviously, that's it's a massive, sprawling thing to tackle. But whatever whatever trends present themselves, we will cover and uh, hopefully you know, get a pretty solid balance of, 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 of things that different people are going to want to read. Yeah. One, one of the topics you guys cover that, that I call it Mulligan is, yeah. you know, there's a... Um, and I think I first saw it in you guys. There, there was an interesting Wall Street report where they kind of did this analysis of here's the malls that have you know a couple of these anchor tenants that are struggling, and then this is what it looks like. And it was a pretty big number, if I recall. What, what do you think? Uh, you know, tell us your kind of thought about this this whole mall thing that's going on. I think so. I'm not a millennial, obviously, but but I think it's really interesting that people are starting to rethink what malls can mean for millennials and and developing these mixed use properties that are, may include retail, but also hospitality and entertainment, even healthcare and even multi unit dwellings. And I think malls as we've known them are are certainly on the way out if they're not already there. But I think that you know. One of the things that I think is really interesting was the the Aeropostale deal, and with with with, with Simon and, and and I forget the other mall operator in the mix there, but this recognition that obviously they need stores like Aeropostale to survive to, to to bring people in. But I think what's more interesting, and, and we'll have to see how it plays out, is what what can a store like an Aeropostale do if it's owned by the mall operator and has access to all the analytics information, all the big data about the the different consumers that are coming into the malls? And I feel like that's a template, that deals a template for a lot of things, not only just how to bring a retailer out of bankruptcy if if there's still a perception that there's value in the brand, but more importantly, how 
malls and the, and the businesses within them can work in a more collaborative way and, and, and play to one another's strengths, share information, share data. Um, I, you know, I don't know if there are any other examples like that. I certainly haven't come across any, but I feel like it, it's indicative of where things could and more importantly should be going. And I also think bringing in things like rock climbing walls and, 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 and things of that nature are really, really interesting as well. You know, let's, let's just abandon the idea that these are retail centers and make them into something more like a mall of America, I guess, where it's this combination retail environment, theme park, massive food court and movie. God knows what else. So, you know, I don't think I think malls as we know them are dead, but I don't think malls are dead. And I, I actually think that that's going to be one of the most interesting trends to, to watch over the next several years. I'll uh, I'll give you half credit for that answer because I, I totally agree about the mixed use. Um, Mall of America has another attribute, which I think is going away in malls, which mm-hmm. is these um, remote locations with a huge moat of parking around them that are com- like completely. Um, segregated from the community. So I think, like, when we look at all those A malls and those, like, 150, there's 150 malls in the U.S. that are growing faster than e-commerce. Mm-hmm. And in those malls, like, they tend to have all that net mixed-use uh, stuff that you're describing, and they tend to be more uh, integrated in the community, lifestyle, things that are, you know, feel like more part of your life as opposed to a destination that you had to go out of your way to get to. So, so what do you anticipate with, with those malls that are struggling? Do you see them? How do you see oh, them? I think, I think the, the regional malls, I, I think the enclo- to your point, like the enclosed um, catalogs of stores are likely going away. Um, there's some new research that uh, like Generation Z might be more mall friendly mm-hmm. um, than, than millennials. I'm not sure how credible that research is at this point. So I... Uh, I'll, I'll see it when it actually happens as opposed to the surveys. But the, but I, I think there's there's a bottom 20% of malls that, that served a purpose and that purpose is going away. And I think there's a top 20% of malls that are a no-brainer, you know, huge moneymaker. And then there's that that chunky middle. Right. And, you know, there's going to be winners and losers in there. Absolutely. Cool. How about um, let's bring it down to the show here. Have you had a chance to walk the floor and anything interesting you've seen? Yeah, I've uh, I've spent a lot of time on the floor scrambling from one briefing to the next. Um, there's 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 not a I haven't isolated one really dominant trend, but um, and one of the things that that I've heard several people talk about, and actually started on the, on the yesterday morning at the opening here with the with the launch of Rise Up, which is the uh, NRF Foundation program to educate and, and credential uh, uh, store associates, and the the associates seem to be a really interesting part of a lot of dialogue here, which is not something I anticipated at all, and and I think it's. You know, you you come into a show like this thinking people are going to be talking about tech innovations and and and, and new strategies and so on and so forth, and not something that's been a, a fundamental element of retail all along. But it does seem like there's a people are starting to come back to understanding the role that associates play in stores, and and but then conversely, uh, there's a, a a report that Cisco's putting out. And it, it, it looks they, – they sat down with 200 different retailers and talked about their digital transformation. And 
the amount that they are spending on the customer experience still dramatically dwarfs the amount of money that they are spending on store associates, even though, according to their data, that the, the return on investment in, in, in associates far outstrips the investment and in, 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 in the customer experience. And more importantly, I think it's really strange that they are dividing those two, that, that the perception is that those are two separate things. I feel like they're, they're two halves of, of a much larger whole. I don't know it how seems you... seems like store associates is part of the customer experience. Exactly. That's usually the front. That's the tip of the spear. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I feel like every customer experience I've ever had, positive or negative, if it's memorable to be, it's because an associate played a, a very prominent role in that. So I, I, I think it's, it's while, while I applaud the efforts to educate and, and create better associates, I feel like there's still a lot of work to be done simply in better synthesizing them into the overall vision of, of what the stores are going to be. So, but, but it does, it, regardless, it does seem like there is increasing awareness again, that, that humans still matter in this equation. And, uh, and again, I think that goes back with the, with the, the, the sort of brick and mortar renaissance that we were talking about a few moments ago. Cool. Um, you know, again, Amazon. Every, everyone seems to be talking about it, either directly or indirectly. I don't know that that's a theme or trend. I don't know about you guys. I, w- I thought there'd be more about AI and about machine learning, and 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 I don't I don't know what led me to believe that. And and I don't want to suggest that my experience here is representative of what everybody's talking about. But are, are people talking about AI in, in your conversations? There's a lot of little robots, but I there, there are a lot of yeah. robots. <laughs> yeah. So it. it, it it's tricky because AI is both like a uh, an interesting specific thing, and it's sort of a buzzword catchphrase that everyone redefines for their own purposes. Um, and so I, I'm seeing less people at this show than, for example, CES uh, use AI as a buzzword. Right? You're going to mm-hmm. see CES, and the new iteration of every product is new because it has AI of some kind. Right? And what does that mean? Right? Oh, it means that acts like a human or it has some cognitive computing behind it or, or whatever the case is. Uh, here I see less of that as a buzzword, which is interesting and surprising. Like, I, I, uh, I mean, this industry is not immune to buzzwords. Um, so, you know, you, you certainly could expect to, to see it on the floor. But there are certain AI use cases that are pretty prevalent on the floor. So um, computer vision, for example, uh, I've seen a lot more applications of computer vision on the floor this year than I've ever seen before for like sending robots around the store to take pictures and figure out your inventory and measure planogram compliance and things like that. All the people counters are using computer vision now. Google's demonstrating like sentiment analysis in their computer vision models. So we see that one a lot. A lot all the analytics companies of course are now calling their analytics um, machine learning. And then, you know, one of the biggest booths on the show is IBM, and I think they just have a blanket policy that all IBM products are now called Watson. Um, <laughs> and so that, you know, makes, makes things a little confusing. So I think, I think you, if you scratch beneath the surface, like there is a fair amount of stuff that I would put in the AI category here, um, but I would totally agree with you for whatever reason, I haven't seen like 
AI hype for AI hype here as much as other other industries at the moment. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any other NRF things you've seen? Well, I did spend time with one of the robots, uh, the, the SoftBank Pepper robot. Pepper, yeah. That was a very, very interesting experience. Cause it, and, and I actually wrote a feature about it that we'll be publishing probably in the next few days. Um, it's a, it's an, it's an oddly emotional experience when the, 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 it was very noisy. They're, they're, they're sort of tucked back in a corner and it's very noisy back there. And so the, the robot was struggling to hear me as it's asking these questions about what kind of shoes I want. And then he just ultimately gave up and his shoulders just fell. It was like a, like a child that was trying to explain something to you and you're just too, dumb to get what this kid is telling you and he just finally just you know just looks at you like you're never going to get it and and I had no idea that a robot a robot could convey emotion in that way I, I was actually it was it was that's really what the piece is about is, is just my own reaction to it and 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 that you know it's something that I didn't certainly robotics in 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 fulfillment and shipping and picking I can I you know that's pretty easy to understand. I didn't really understand though the value of robots in in a customer environment, and I'm not sure I still do, but it definitely made me much more of a believer than I was. And I think that you know maybe it's just a novelty. Maybe if I have four or five of those experiences, then I'll just shrug it off. But it, as something that I experienced for the first time here, it was definitely unexpectedly compelling. So that's something I'll probably be tracking a little more closely as, as than, than I was before I got here to New York. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I saw an IBM demo where they use those little half size robots. Where did, do you know what those are called? Uh, I do, but it's not yeah. on the tip of my tongue. And, uh, the guy was talking on stage and the robot was like going through some, and it was like freaking everyone out because you're just like, you know, you could hardly listen to the guy cause you're like watching the robot kind of like, and it was like, you know, changing its weight on its hip and mm-hmm. it had been programmed with these human body motions and it was very distracting <laughs> yeah. even though my brain was saying it's just you know been programmed to do that so you're kind of like keeping an eye on it just in case that little guy jumped off of there and ran at you with a knife or something exactly <laughs> as happens in every science fiction yeah. film ever made you know it's one step away yes. uh at ces the you know we've we've all seen the vacuum robots but they're na- they now have the lawnmower robots mm. and i'm pretty sure those the next uh round of horror movies are all going to prominently feature uh, vac- uh, lawnmower robots. But what's more horrific, a lawnmower robot that attacks you or just mowing a lawn in the middle of the summer? Uh, fair enough. I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah. A, a fine point you make. Uh, yeah, the humanoid robots is interesting. Um, and it, it always, it just reminds me about like how hardwired we are, right? Like that we're absolutely, like, uh, those emotions get triggered, like even in the not very humanist, human realistic images and so there were a bunch of products at at ces again that were like designed to be cute and they were and it, it works like just the sad droopy eyes yeah uh, like get you to bond with that that product more which is evil and genius yeah no it, uh, yeah the, the the eyes is is what it's all about i it, it i have a dog but i would imagine if i were to walk through a a uh, an animal rescue, I would have 30 dogs yes. because they would all look at me with those same big eyes that the robot did. And yeah, uh, apparently I'm a incredibly soft touch when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, the, the maybe near term version of the robots that uh, in customer service that, that 
at least I, I believe is we're likely to see a lot more of this year is the chat bots for customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, you, you can, I maybe expected to see a little bit more of that on the floor than I have, but certainly at, at like shop.org later in the year, we'll see a ton of vendors showing new, new platforms for, for providing customer service via the text bots, which again is a flavor of AI. Absolutely. Well, and that's something that we've been writing about um, fairly consistently. You know, it does seem it, it does seem like there's more hype than substance around chatbots still at this point, but they, but it is progressing a little bit. Um, all the conversational commerce, chat commerce, whatever you want to call it, that's that's another thing that, that we've been following pretty closely. And and I and I do look at it as 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 a form of AI, simply in that, you know, I, I feel like, you know, as as a, as a culture right now, we're so laser focused on on jobs, and you know, here here comes this this AI technology with the potential to not only transform retail but any any industry with a customer service component. And I and I, I'm surprised that that isn't more of a of a topic in the mainstream conversation in the in in in, in, in the mainstream media. Um, obviously it has, but I think, you know, Amazon Go was really the sort of the start of what do all these new innovations in retail mean for associates, for for jobs as we move forward. Yeah, these things sound great as a frictionless experience for a consumer where you don't have to make chit-chat with the person that's ringing up your groceries or whatever. But, the you know, I think the the larger cost of that is is currently lost on on a lot of folks, and I think chatbots are part of that, and and all the mach- and anything machine learning oriented, it's only going to eliminate jobs, which again does seem to be at cross purposes with this this move back slightly to to brick and mortar. And I don't know. I mean, I I think this is a, it, there's an it, this is an industry with with an untold number of cool and compelling things, but I don't know that any of them really complement one another at the end of the day. <laughs> so much of this seems to be working at cross purposes and, and it's really tough to say how it's going to shake out and what's going to win and what's going to lose here. But the, the spin that I'm not sure I buy, but mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the spin nonetheless is like, Hey, if we don't have to waste a bunch of money and time on associates being tied to the cash register and doing those perfunctory tasks, they can be more customer centric and being uh, assisting the customer more with the the purchase decision making. And so, like the theory would be, oh my gosh, we need to invest more in associates and educate them more and hire more because that's one of the differentiating features we can have versus a a giant pure play e commerce site from from Seattle. Uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, like we'll shift that labor from you know guys that used to have to work in the back and guys that used to have to work at the cash register. Uh, but I'm with you the the industry that puts on this show NRF like that you know their talking point for the last several years has been we're super important because we're the number one jobs provider um, in the economy. And, uh, you know, so, you know, this year the shift is like, and that's a super valuable resource that we need to invest in and cultivate. And then, you know, two of the biggest news stories going, Amazon Go is going to eliminate 6 million cashiers and the autonomous, all the autonomous vehicles at CES are going to eliminate 10 million truck drivers, right? Exactly. It doesn't add up, does it? Amazon's going to hire 100,000 people this year, so boom, we're okay. And I, I heard Alibaba is going to hire like a million. People. A million. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh well. Yep. You know, I'm sure that's entirely authentic, just like everything on the Alibaba platform. 
I'm sensing a, 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 a <laughs> smidgen of cynicalism. Cynicism. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that 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 all the all the Jack Ma comments just seemed in, just puffery. I don't know. I, I there's there's absolutely no way that, that anything like that will happen. And probably best that we don't steer down a, a, a more political road in this conversation. But yeah, uh, I don't believe that for for a second. Interesting. The uh, so skirting that political line just a little bit more. Like, oh God, it, are, are here's guys, where I really get in trouble. No, 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 no. But like, uh, if you guys done, I haven't seen anything yet. Any pieces on like how the new administration could affect retail? And- uh, we, we have published those. Uh, Corinne has written a couple pieces on uh, one uh, uh, several weeks before the election and then one that we published the morning after the election, if memory serves. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely something that we will be tracking. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I think we will we will strive to always be, I mean, we're, we're a news organization. We're, we are going to be objective about it and but it's it's absolutely imperative and even with with you know with matthew shea coming out this morning and 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 basically applauding the the election of trump because of the job creation promises and and you know mentioning that and and i'm paraphrasing now but this is the the first retailer in the white house it's a a haberdasher from kansas named harry truman you know i mean we we uh it, it will be a, a, a big, a, a, as big a part of our coverage as it needs to be. Um, you know, I think certainly probably more in the in the early going within the first hundred days. You know, as things start to, in as much as this administration may ever be predictable, I I think you know, the, the, the we'll focus more when when the policies really start to evolve and 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 the 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 paths become clear. But um, I, I have to imagine that for the duration of the four years that will be a topic that we cover, especially with the company itself being in DC. Yeah. Uh, so changing topics entirely, uh, one that Scott and I have been talking about a lot lately is grocery. Um, the, my, my premise is that, that grocery is a lot, uh, more digitally immature than some of these other categories and that that's the big new battleground that we're going to see this year. And that, you know, uh, I don't think we'll ever see a, a true Amazon Walmart head to head in sort of general merchandise. Cause frankly, I feel like that battle's already played out mm-hmm. and, and, uh, won by Amazon. But, but I think it's going to be interesting to see these, you know, two of the most valuable companies in the world, uh, both fighting for, uh, a, a category that nobody's won yet. And then you've got, uh, I'll call them the dark horse, but you've got another huge company in Kroger that like, you know, isn't an incumbent that in theory should have some important uh, business to protect there. Absolutely. Well, and we published a feature a few weeks back that, that Daphne wrote and she got some really great research talking about how really Walmart should not be fearful of, of Amazon or any other U.S. retailer. It should, it's uh, Lidl and Aldi that because they've they've created so much havoc in Europe and, and, and really kicked Walmart's ass at grocery in, 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 on the, on the European continent and, and in the UK, they pose an enormous threat here. And, uh, you know, that, that's definitely something that we're going to continue following as well. And, and, and 
Yeah. To, to me, those brands are, are, as a consumer at least, they're they're virtually unknown. I I I've, I've never shopped in in an Aldi store in the U.S. and and obviously, I've, you know, there are no Lidl stores here, but um, it does seem like they are very effective at capturing a similar customer base overseas and doing doing what Walmart does, but doing it much better. Um, obviously, this is a dramatically different market, and they are. They're virtual non-entities here, by and large, but so was was Amazon twenty years ago. We have in North Carolina, oddly enough. I don't know why we we have an Aldi, but um, it's wildly popular. It's kind of like Trader Joe's; everything's their own brand. Okay, um, and uh, it's super busy, so it seems to be doing really well. Well, and and I'm sure I will forget or, or get some of the details from that story wrong, but if I'm remembering correctly. The it was two brothers that founded the companies, and and I think the company that and then those brothers had a falling out. But then the 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 company that owns Aldi also owns Trader Joe's in the U.S. Oh, okay. I didn't so know. so the, this is all Jason's area. He's the grocery guy. Is that is yeah. did I did I get yeah, that right? It's, it's basically the Nike Puma of grocery. Okay. Uh, the like two the brothers P- with Puma Adidas. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Good. Thanks for the catching me there, Scott. The Puma Adidas of grocery, uh, and Aldi, I think, under their own brand, does have uh, is starting to have a footprint here. And they're what where they're being wildly successful is price competitiveness. Uh, exactly. And so if uh, and that's super impressive because you know say what you want about Walmart, like they're an awesome operator and they're and they're terrific at taking costs out of the system. And then you know here these guys have come over from Europe and. You start to hear Walmart using words like instead of lowest price, we want to be a low price provider, and that's like a nod to the fact that like you know they've kind of hit rock bottom in terms of taking costs out of out of these systems. Absolutely. Now it's I wish I had the feature at my disposal right now because it, it's it's really good. I would rec- I'd recommend anyone who's made it this far into the podcast to to, to look up that feature. On our website, because I think there's a lot of really compelling information and insight in there. Uh, and we'll uh, I'll find a link to it and I'll put it in the show notes. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'd be happy to. Uh, for folks, in the unlikely event that anyone on our podcast isn't already getting the newsletter, it's retaildive.com and correct. Sign up at the top or bottom, I think, if memory serves. Yes. And you guys have a good retail, I mean, a Twitter handle, too. That's just yeah. Retail Dive. Yeah, and uh, and I'm on Twitter also, although I never tweet, so I don't know if there's any value in in giving out my handle. But Corinne is a fairly active tweeter, so I'd recommend that you, uh, I think hers is at Corinne Susan. Yep. Cool. I'll awesome. make sure that's in the show notes. And don't well. follow me. I'm a terrible follow. All right. We won't follow you. Thank like, you. Like, even on the way out of You're the You're probably an building? egg. You're an egg. Uh, I am an egg. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Scott and I have a no egg policy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just not a social media guy. When you told me you looked at my LinkedIn profile earlier, you could see it. Basically it's a, yeah, it was it's smart. a wasteland of not information. It was. Yeah. You have no digital footprint. I, I, I'm trying to erase it and get off the grid as much <laughs> as possible, which doesn't help when you have a byline that gets published virtually every day in a newsletter. Yeah, 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 I'm, good luck I'm, with that. I'm really not doing myself any favors in, in, in evaporating. Fair enough. Uh, and Jason, it will shock no one that we've once again uh, blown through our allotted time. So uh, super appreciate you finishing your day here at the show with us. Well, thank you, guys. It was an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. And thanks, NRF, for hosting us. Yep. And until next time, happy commerce. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. 
for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing. Subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.